Greetings, and welcome to Etzheim's weekly podcast, recorded live in Richardson, Texas. We invite you now to join us for one of our synagogue's Shabbat messages. Well, Shabbat Shalom, Chag Sameach. So, uh, it's Sukkot, we have a little bit more of Sukkot. Feels like it was Sukkot last week, it was almost Sukkot, <laughs> now it's still Sukkot. Uh, and so... I wanted to just dive into some some scriptures and share some, really what I hope will be just a word of encouragement. I entitled this drash uh, cleverly, Fireproof Sukkot. I don't know if it's clever, but the subtitle would be something like, Can You Take the Heat? <laughs> and it really the the word that I feel uh, that, I, that the Lord wants me to share today is that, you know, the the prophetic calendar, the biblical calendar gives us a, a whole lot of insight into, into who God is, into what he's doing, and into our part of all that, right? And if you're familiar with it, you know, it starts really with uh, Passover, which represents God taking his people out of the world, out of sin, out of bondage, out of death, out of servitude to this world system that's opposed to him with all of its idols, and transforming us and giving us new life and new purpose, a new calling, a new covenant, where he's our God, where we're his people. And then that kind of goes in, into this whole uh, concept of the harvest, right? There's the beginning, the first fruits with Shavuot, uh, the, which is the, the Feast of Weeks, and then uh, or Pentecost. And that really represents both the giving of God's word and the giving of God's spirit. It's, it's his presence with us so that we can do the work that he has for us in this harvest, right? And then we have the harvest time, we have this season uh, that I think pr- prophetically represents exactly where we are today. So right now, if you think of us on the, the prophetic calendar, we're not actually at Sukkot, <laughs> uh, even though today is Sukkot, and, and we should celebrate Sukkot. But we should celebrate Sukkot understanding that we're actually looking forward uh, to Sukkot in a way. In a way, there has been a fulfillment of Sukkot, right? It said that the Word uh, became flesh and and tabernacle among us. So I'm not uh, trying to minimize that or deny that. But there's also uh, more to come. There's a lot more to come. And Yeshua said that. Yeshua said some interesting things uh, towards the end of his ministry on earth. He said that... uh, it was actually good for us that he's going back to the Father because he would send his spirit. Which that's an interesting thing in itself. Um, but, and he said that he, he wouldn't leave us as orphans. He wouldn't leave us alone. That he would be with us even through the end of the ages, uh, or the end of the age. And he said that, but that he said that he would return. And, and the people that, that saw him, you know, uh, uh, go up to the Father... The, the angels that were there told them, hey, the same way that he went, he's going to come back. And so there's, there's more in terms of the kingdom of what we're looking for, uh, what we're looking forward to, than what we experience today. But what we experience today, if we're in him and his spirit is in us, uh, is enough for us to do the work that he's called us to do in this harvest. And that's really what I want to talk about today and just share some scriptures uh, that I think have many layers of meaning, and I don't plan to unpack all of them, but really just look at, at, a, at the level of uh, how this applies to us. Uh, the fireproof Sukkot, the idea is not so much that your sukkah doesn't burn down, 
the idea is, is that your faith doesn't burn down, that your faith can pass that trial by fire, knowing what, what, what God is doing and what he's going to do. So let's just dive in, start with some everybody's favorite uh, scripture, and I've got a lot of scripture here, so it might be hard to read, but I'll read it out loud. Uh, and I've kind of picked and chosen certain parts. I'm not reading every single thing here, but I'm going to read a lot of scripture. Is that okay? Yes. I think it's better for you to hear that than to hear me. So let's just dive into it. But we'll talk a little bit about uh, the things that I'm seeing in it and how I think it applies. Uh, I know that there's a lot more than uh, just that here. So uh, in the beginning of uh, Zechariah chapter 14, it says, Behold, a day is coming for Adonai when the spoil taken from you will be divided among you. For I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle, and the city will be captured. But the rest of the people will not be cut off from the city. Then Adonai will go forth and fight against those nations, as when he fights on a day of battle. And so you see this picture already is is almost counterintuitive to what we think that we experience in life. Uh, All these nations are going up to Jerusalem to battle. Why? Who made it happen? Right? He says, I will gather all the nations against Jerusalem to battle. So it's interesting that God is actually, uh, you know, he's the first and the last, and he's completely involved in what's going on here. And that doesn't make it any easier if you're on the receiving end of this. Uh, And so I don't want to minimize that either. But I think it's important for us to capture God's plan and the uh, the way that he works and operates in this world so that we can recognize his hand and we can be part of what he's doing. And so then he says this, In that day, his feet will stand on the Mount of Olives, which is in front of Jerusalem on the east, and the Mount of Olives will be split in its middle from east to west by a very large valley. I'm looking forward to that day. Verse 5, he says, You will flee by the valley of my mountains. And then later he says, Yes, you will flee just as you fled before the earthquake in the days of Uzziah king of Judah. Then Adonai, my God, will come, all the holy ones with you, and that, there's a tongue we could unpack if you look in the Hebrew. Some, some of the translations say with him, but the Hebrew is with you, and it's feminine. I think that there's a lot there. Uh, uh, really, of the body of Messiah, the holy ones with you, coming with God. In that day there will be no light, the luminaries will dwindle. For it will be a unique day, which is known to Adonai, neither day nor night, but it will come about that at evening time there will be light. And in that day, this is in verse 8, Living waters will flow out of Jerusalem. And of course, this is a, a, a Sukkot picture, right? The living waters flowing out of Jerusalem. The Maim Chaim. And Adonai, this is in verse 9, and Adonai will be king over all the earth. In that day, Adonai will be Echad. He'll be one. Ushamo Echad, and his name, one. All the land will be changed into a plain. From Geba Turmon, south of Jerusalem. But Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site. And then later he says, people will live in it. And there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. And so there's this picture, this prophetic picture that the Lord's painting, that he causes this culmination at the end. And he causes really what, from our perspective, is something horrible to happen. And then he, in the midst of it, shows up. And he shows up in a way that really we can't imagine and that we've never seen before. And he changes everything, and he shifts everything to an even plane. 
And that's the first thing that I want to encourage everyone uh, on this journey that you're going through in life. How many here have noticed that life is unfair? Have you noticed it? I hope you have. Uh, it is. Life is, is terribly unfair. Some of the things that, that happen to people are absolutely uh, just horrifyingly terrible. And yet other people seem to be doing great, and sometimes they're the very people who are perpetrating the, uh, the horrifyingly terrible things. And we look at life and we say, what is this? And we can get really discouraged looking around us and seeing this and kind of hearing this bad news all the time. So the first thing that I want to call out is that the land will be changed into a plane. God is going to even absolutely every score. He's going to even all of it. Maybe we don't understand how he's going to do that, but he will do that when he shows up on the scene in this way. And Jerusalem will rise and remain on its site. People will live in it. There will, be, there will no longer be a curse, for Jerusalem will dwell in security. And then he goes on and says something interesting, because he, he actually hearkens back to, uh, to, to the Passover story. And he says, Now this will be the plague with which Adonai will strike all the peoples who have gone to war against Jerusalem. Their flesh will rot or will dissolve while they stand on their feet, and their eyes will rot in their sockets, and their tongue will rot in their mouth. And he goes, he goes on at 13, says, It will come about in that day that a great panic from Adonai will fall on them. And later on he says, And the hand of one will be lifted against the hand of another. Judah will also fight at Jerusalem, and the wealth of all the surrounding nations will be gathered. Gold and silver and garments in great abundance. Do you see the, the Passover story here? Remember what happened in Egypt after the plagues? Everybody gathered, every, everyone said, here, have my stuff, you know, take it with you. And there was actually a mixed multitude that went out. And so now you see almost this inversion. Now instead of the children of Israel being in Egypt and, and having to plunder Egypt and leave, now they're in Jerusalem, they're in the promised land, and the whole world's coming against them, and then the whole world's ending up being plundered. And they're uh, the beneficiaries of this. And then it will come about that any who are left of all the nations that went against Jerusalem will go up from year to year to worship the king, Adonai Tzavaot, like we sang earlier, the Lord of hosts, the Lord of armies, and to celebrate Chag HaSukot. Interesting, huh? Yeah, and so not only do we see a picture here of the, uh, of the Passover, but we see a picture here, uh, I mean, really explicitly we see here that they're celebrating Sukkot. They're celebrating uh, the festival of ingathering, and so we'll talk about what that represents for us. And then later on it says in, in 17, And it will be that whichever of the families of the earth does not go up to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, there will be no rain on them. If the family of Mitzrayim, of Egypt, does not go up or enter, then no rain will fall on them. It will be the plague with which the Adonai smites the nations who do not go up to celebrate Hag HaSukot, Hag HaSukot, right? The Feast of, uh, of Booths or of Tabernacles. So it, it, you see this inversion. Now the plague is inverted. Now the plague is going to be that if you don't go and celebrate in Yerushalayim, in Jerusalem, and worship the king and serve him, bow before him, recognize him for who he is, uh, you know, which is, in, in essence, the celebration of, of the Feast of, of Booths, or is, is uh, you know, represented by this, this act of keeping Sukkot, then the plague will be on you. And so that's uh, Zechariah 14. And 
just thinking about that, I think there's a couple things. First of all, it's really important to, to get that first point that I made, that if you're discouraged because life isn't working out the way you think it should, if you're discouraged because uh, people are disappointing you or circumstances in your life are absolutely not what you would expect, and especially if you're in the, the situation where you don't see a way for it to be redeemed. You look at the situation, you say, this isn't going to get any better. I want to say something about that. One of the things that we make a, a, a mistake in life, I've noticed, uh, is that human beings have a tendency to extrapolate. Do you know what extrapolation is? Extrapolation is when you see some kind of points on a line and then you go, okay, I can't see what's happening after that, but it's kind of going like this, so I think it's just going to keep going like that. It's just going to keep going on in the same way, you know, in, in the same uh, magnitude, the same direction, in the same order that things are happening. And we extrapolate both good things and we extrapolate bad things. So, uh, for example, uh, you know, maybe you get in a relationship and things are going well. And so what do you start to think? What becomes your expectation? Things are just going to keep going well. That's not always true. People will let you down. People will, uh, you know, I will let you down. I hate to say it. <laughs> I'm not perfect. So don't extrapolate. But we also extrapolate when bad things are happening, especially bad things that we don't see any way that, that they can possibly be resolved. We don't see a way. There's, there's no way to, to recover from it. And so we just extrapolate and say it's always going to be like this. And a lot of people are, are going around uh, these days absolutely hopeless. And if that's you, then I want to encourage you uh, that when God breaks into the scene, there's nothing he can't change. The extrapolation is out. <laughs> you know, the, the thing that we imagine is, is completely wrong because he has a different plan. He has a different uh, purpose than what we understand when we're going through these kind of circumstances. And so I, I want you to just let yourself be comforted. Let your soul be comforted with the truth that God's got it. In fact, even that culmination of the people going up against Jerusalem, it was actually God gathering them. He did it himself to show his power, to show who he is, to show, to show forth and accomplish the purpose that he had for his people, that he has for his people. And so if we're his people and he's our God, then that's something that I, I want us to, to all stop and reflect on. That whatever I'm going through that's wrong, or whatever I'm going through that's right, I'm not going to just automatically extrapolate. If things are going well, be thankful. Be humble. If things are going bad, uh, pray, seek God, but understand that it's all going to change, and probably many times in life. Now, I want to share another scripture with you, another passage uh, that I think is interesting because when I think of Zechariah uh, 14, what comes in my mind, probably because I'm a you know have a have a strange way of thinking, thinking about things, but what comes to my mind is Second Peter chapter three, and you might say, well, I don't know if that has anything to do with this. Maybe not, but I think it does, so we're going to read it. Uh, this is what it says. It says, This is now, beloved, the second letter I am writing to you, in which I am stirring up your sincere mind by way of reminder, that you should remember the words spoken beforehand by the holy prophets, some of which we just read, and the commandment of the Lord and Savior spoken by your apostles. Know this, first of all, that in the last days, mockers will come with their mocking following after their own lusts or their own desires and saying, where is the promise of his coming? For ever since the fathers fell asleep, all continues just as it was from the beginning of creation. Do you see an extrapolation happening here? 
It's all the same. Nothing changes. This is a mistake a lot of people make. And a lot of times we as believers, we actually get on the defensive and we start feeling the pressure of this. Like, oh, you know, am I wrong? Will it ever change? For when they maintain this, it escapes their notice that by the word of God, the heavens existed long ago and the earth was formed out of water and by water. So he says the first thing is you can't extrapolate anything because if we were just to extrapolate backwards, there would be nothing. And then God broke through and created everything, right? And so he says, knowing that, let's look at the second proof point. He says, through which the world at that time referring to the time of Noah, was destroyed, being flooded with water. In other words, God's already intervened in a way that's miraculous, and that's incredible, and that was actually worldwide and globally, uh, you know, affected the whole entire world all at once. And so he's saying, hey, it's escaping their notice. When they say, ah, everything's, it's always been like this. Nothing's changing. It's always been this way. You know, why do you think, why do you trust in Yeshua? What's your point of holding on to him? Don't you realize that nothing changes? And he says it escapes their notice. They're forgetting a a few really key facts about this world, the truth that's revealed in God's word. He says in verse 7, But by his word, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment and destruction of ungodly men. Does this sound a little bit like Zechariah 14 when he's gathering all the nations together? People don't even realize why they're going there, what the end is going to be. But he has a purpose. He has a plan. He says, he goes on to say, But do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years, and a thousand years like one day. The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing that any to perish, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If it seems slow, if it seems like nothing's changing, that's actually the reason. It's because this is the time of the harvest, and you and I are supposed to be working in this harvest. Because God wants everyone. He doesn't want any of them to perish. He wants everyone to come to repentance. And that's the job He's given us to do. That's the mission He's given us to do. And He empowers us to do it. He says this in verse 10, But the day of the Lord will come like a thief in which the heavens will pass away with a roar, and the elements will be destroyed with intense heat, and the earth and its works will be burned up. So in, in Zechariah 14, we see you know, people's eyes melting and their tongues melting. But in, in uh, 2 Peter 3, we see something even more expansive, right? That every element is going to melt. Everything is going to be destroyed by intense heat. The question is, what in our lives is going to take the heat? That's the question. Can we take the heat? Right? The heat comes from, from so many sides. Yeshua talked about the heat of the sun as, as, a, you know, as a metaphor in the, in the harvest time of persecution and, and opposition. When people are against us, will our faith take that heat? Can we handle it? Are we fireproof? This Sukkot? He goes on to say this. In verse 11, he gives us the logical conclusion. He says, since all these things are to be destroyed in this way, what sort of people ought you to be in holy conduct and godliness, looking for and hastening the coming of the day of God, 
because of which the heavens will be destroyed by burning and the elements will melt with intense heat. But according to his promise, we are looking for new heavens and a new earth in which righteousness dwells. That's that even plane. That's when it's all been fixed. And that's going to happen. He has promised that. And he's going to deliver on that. He says, therefore, beloved, since you look for these things, be diligent to be found by him in peace, spotless and blameless, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. And he goes on and says something really interesting. He talks about the, the things that, the wisdom that Paul has written, Shaul. And then he says that, that un, untaught and unstable people distort these as they do the rest of the scriptures. And he says this, he says, You therefore, and this is verse 17, Beloved, knowing this beforehand, that, that people will do this, that they'll distort and, and uh, try to twist the scriptures, he says, Be on your guard, so that you are not carried away by the error of unprincipled men, or really unprincipled people, and fall from your own steadfastness. And I'm going to stop there for a second. So the context here, he started out, talking about our time, the time that we live in, and mockers coming. People just that do whatever they want. Are there any of those in this society? Right? That's the society we live in. I can do whatever I want. And I don't know what's wrong with you. You're crazy. I don't know why you believe in this Yeshua stuff. What's wrong with you? And so they tell us, hey, come on. How can you believe in this? Nothing's changed. It's all the same. It's all the same. The world's just going to keep going around. Don't know why you can put your hope in this. And then he says here that we realize that A, God created everything by his word. B, he already destroyed this world once with the flood. And C, he's reserving it right now to destroy all of it with fire. And because of that, we should really think about the way we live our lives. And we should be careful, we should be on our guard, he says, so that we're not carried away by the error of unprincipled uh, people. In fact, this word unprincipled men, it's one word that's translated these two words. Uh, in, in Greek, it, it means people who are out of line. It's actually used in, in the classical Greek to say something that's illegal. Right? So these are unlawful people. These are, these are out of line. These are people that aren't in line with God's will. They're against it. They're opposed to it. And they won't submit to it. And they have the ability, he, he suggests here, he, he uh, implies, to carry us away from our own steadfastness by their error. And I think their error is not just one thing. It's at least twofold. It's both the things that they speak, right? Their philosophy, the things that they believe, and it's their own actions. And so we, we can feel the pressure and say, hey, I don't know if I can oppose this. Or sometimes we feel the opposite pressure. And say, I, I want to be like that. I want to live like the way they do. They seem to be so carefree. They do whatever they want. And we can be pulled away, carried away from our own steadfastness. But he tells us what the opposite of that is, right? So that's what we should be on our guard not to do, understanding the times that we live in. So what do we do? How do you get to that point of this fireproof Sukkot, where our faith is going to last all the way until the end, when the Lord himself will appear and, and be on the scene, and tabernacle and dwell among us? He says this, he says, But grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua, anointed one. Yeshua, the Messiah. Now think about that. 
I don't know about you. Uh, I, I think that, in my opinion, grace is probably one of the most misunderstood and maybe even most twisted terms that's used in the English language. Maybe not less than love. So <laughs> probably the, the two words that we, uh, that we just torture in our language nowadays are grace and love. But grace is something that, that we, we torture the meaning for, uh, for it to the point that it's kind of hard for us to even read this sentence and make any sense of it, right? Because the way that we see grace, we see it as something that's, that's um, almost ethereal and, you know, you, you can't really touch it, you can't really experience it. It, it just kind of happens up there transactionally and, you know, and God is kind of, he's kind of cool with you and says, hey, I'm, I'm good with you and everything's good. And that's kind of the way that we like to think about grace. But I think if you, if you dig into the biblical idea of God's favor, it's actually something that empowers us to both want to do and to actually do His will. And so it's something we can grow in. Does that make sense? And so that's the opposite of letting the air of, of these out-of-line people carry us away from our own steadfastness. The opposite of that, the, the way that we, uh, you know, that we stay steadfast is that we grow in God's favor. We grow in His grace, His charis, and knowledge. Knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Yeshua the Messiah. And I don't think this knowledge is just head knowledge, though it is important to, to have correct understanding of who He is and who we are in Him. But I, it, it's when you're walking in God's grace... When you're walking in His divine power that enables you to want to do and to do His will, you become you you start to experience Him. You get to know Him, and if you know Him, then when people come with their error and they try to say, "Ah, you're crazy. How do you you know why are you putting up with this? You know this whatever. This is like you believe in the spaghetti monster God and you know this old religion from when people were primitive and didn't know anything. Like, how do you hold on to this? And you go, wait one second. I know who I serve. I know who I walk with. The one that's in error here, the one that's, that's deceived here, the one that's not getting the point here, is not me. I know him. I'm growing in his grace and in the knowledge of him. And then he ends uh, with something that is fantastic. Uh, because there was a time for me, I don't know where you are in your walk, but there was a time for me where one of the big questions that I struggle with uh, was, is Yeshua divine? Is he God? And that's a big question. That, that's a question that has, uh, you know, big ramifications. And this, this is a, just one of those phrases in the Bible that kind of answers that question once and for all. He says to him, to Yeshua, be the glory both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. There's only one God, right? He's Echad. And he is going to appear invisible form, and there's only one form that God can appear invisibly, and that's Yeshua. He's the visible representation, the express representation of the invisible God. And so to Him be glory, both now and to the day of eternity. Amen. And so we see that, uh, that in Zechariah, He talks to us about the fact that God's going to gather the nations against Jerusalem. There's going to be uh, you know, a time of trouble, and if, obviously there's a literal truth to that, but there's also kind of a Midrashic truth to that, if you, if you don't mind me uh, suggesting this, that all of us run through uh, scenarios and circumstances in life where it all seems like it's gathered against us, and it's us against the world, and we kind of wonder, you know, what's going to happen here, and can I handle it? 
And he gives us the secret here. The secret is to understand the, the lesson of Sukkot. What is the lesson of Sukkot? Does anybody know? The lesson of Sukkot is a couple things. There's actually a few lessons that I want to share with you before we go to our next passage. The first lesson is Sukkot is, it's actually a temporary uh, celebration, right? Like, Sukkot's not forever. It's, it's temporary. And, and the thing that it actually represents is temporary because it says that we're to do this, we're to build the, you know, the, the sukkah, the, the booth, because the people of Egypt, or the, the children of Israel came out of Egypt, then they were wandering around, and, and that's what they did. They had to build some temporary shelter. And so, the first lesson of Sukkot is that, guys, all of this is temporary. That's a really important lesson. So don't extrapolate that this is going to go on forever. It's not. It's temporary. It's hold on for a little while. But the lesson of Sukkot is more than that. It's not just that it's temporary. But it's also that even in the midst of, of the desert, where it's dry and the, the sun beats down on you, and, and it, it can kill you in just a small amount of time because of how intense it is, that even there, God is present in that place. Not just, in, you know, one day when Yeshua comes back, but in this place where we are today, living the reality that we live right now with the difficulties and the heat that we face day by day, that God is here right now to be our shelter, to give us times of refreshing, to encourage us. And it's not, you know, don't think, uh, you know, sometimes we confuse the metaphor with reality. God's not a booth. He's a person, right? When we go under His shelter, we're there with Him. Does that make sense? And so, that's another lesson of, of Sukkot. And if our faith is going to be fireproof, to last through the things that are coming, and they are coming, and some of the things that you maybe you're already going through, I don't know what you're going through, but the Lord does, you need to hold on to Him right now. You need to come under that shelter of His grace and of His love, His care for you, His presence with you. Grow in His grace. Grow in knowledge of Him. Get to know Him right now. Now let's go and, and we'll skip to the end of the book. That's the nice thing. So we can just skip straight to the end. And uh, let's take a look at Revelation 7. And he says this. It's also a Sukkot theme. He says, verse 9, After these things I looked, and behold, a great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation and all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, and palm branches were in their hands, and they cry out with a loud voice, saying, Salvation to our God, who sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne, and around the elders and the four living creatures, and they fell on their faces before the throne and worshipped God, saying, Amen, blessed and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might to our God forever and ever. Amen. Then, one of the elders answered, saying to me, These, this is verse 13, These who are clothed in the white robes, who are they? And where have they come from? In four, verse 14, he says, I said to him, My Lord, you know. And he said to me, These are the ones who come out of the great tribulation. And they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. And before we continue on, uh, I was looking at that term. It's, it's two words in Greek. Great tribulation. And it's interesting. It's It's mega, and then the, the word for tribulation is actually a word that means internal pressure. 
where there's no escape. There's no way out. I thought, wow, that's interesting, because there's actually a different word in Greek, completely different word, that refers to external pressure. And I think most of us, when we read Great Tribulation, where do we think the pressure is coming from? The outside. But it's actually not, not, not uh, I think, the actual sense of it. And this mega tribulation, this mega pressure that he's talking about, this Great Tribulation, that the pressure is actually on the inside. Which is why Yeshua said, you got to endure to the end. you got to endure to the end. Understand where you're going and understand where you're going to end up. And then you're going to be able to endure to the end. Because His grace is sufficient. The problem is not a lack of His grace. It's, it's whether we apply it and grow in it. And so then He goes on and He says this, verse 15, For this reason they are before the throne of God, and they serve Him day and night in His temple, and he who sits on the throne will spread his sukkah, his tabernacle, over them. They will hunger no longer, nor thirst any more, nor will the sun beat down on them, nor any heat. They're fireproof. They're fireproof. For the Lamb in the center of the throne will be their shepherd, and will guide them to springs of living water, right? Mayim water of life. And God will wipe every tear from their eyes. And so what does that tell us? It tells us a whole bunch of things. First of all, it tells us, in my, in my rendering of this, in my reading of this, that the pressure is on the inside. And that's where we need to focus. If we're going to run this race with endurance, if we're going to finish this course the way that the Lord wants us to, and if we're going to accomplish works that will last and that won't just burn up, when all the world burns up in all its works, then we need to look into our hearts and we need to see, am I filled with the presence of the living God? <clears throat> it, when I look at myself, I'm a vessel, I'm a, I'm a, you know, a clay vessel, and I'm a really messed up clay vessel, right? There's nothing there that's going to do anything that lasts. There's nothing there. So one of the big mistakes that we can make, and that's, that's become popular in our kind of New Age uh, culture, is to look into ourselves and try to find some strength or some goodness or some heroic whatever that's going to save the day. But the reality is that what we really need to do is let the Lord clean that out, let Him pick, pick up the broken pieces and put them back together, and let Him fill that, that jar of our lives with His presence, with who He is. Right? Sukkot, God with us, Him tabernacling, dwelling, residing, if you will, with us, in us, living through us. That's what this is all about. And these people here, who came out of this great tribulation, they did that. And it says specifically that they've washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Now that, of course, that metaphor almost feels like a mixed metaphor, or a metaphor that doesn't really make sense, right? Because you don't wash white clothes in blood. What happens if you wash clothes in blood and the clothes started out white? What, what, they end up red, they end up stained, right? But I think that this kind of shocking imagery that he's using that kind of hits us upside the head and we go, whoa, uh, is actually really important. It's really deep and it's really true. The reality is that there's nothing clean in us, in ourselves. Our righteousness is his righteousness. And we have no other claim to righteousness. And that's actually the first step if we're going to grow in His grace, right? That's the first step for us to actually receive His grace, much less grow into it, 
is to realize that we've got nothing to offer here spiritually until he starts this work and he changes us and he cleanses us. And now this covering that they've got on these white robes, they're perfect, they're pure because he made them pure with his own eternal blood. So that's why they're now able to come into the presence of God and serve him day and night. And he who sits on the throne is going to spread out, he's going to spread his tabernacle over them. Wow. That's Sukkot. That's what this is all about. That's what we're looking forward to. That's the the time that Peter was trying to tell us, Kepha, guys, look forward to this and hasten it. Let's work to make this thing happen because this is what matters. If we're not doing that, and I'm not suggesting, I'm not arguing whether or not you can change the times that things are happening. I'm saying it's your focus. It's what you're doing with your life. Is the, is the focus of my life, I want to finish the, the, the work that Yeshua sent us to do, He gave us to do, so that He'll come back and I can live in His presence. Is that what we're all about? Is that what we long for and look forward to and work for? Or are we kind of getting comfortable here? Kind of just enjoying life the way it is and, you know? And the problem about that, that false comfort that people find in the world is that it's only a matter of time before all the nations are going to gather against Jerusalem. It's only a matter of time. There, there is no Switzerland spiritually, right? There's no neutral. There's nowhere that you can stay and it's all just going to be okay. You're going to have to make a decision. You're going to have to decide to either follow the Lord or actually oppose Him. And in fact, you may have not realized it, but you're already making that decision. And so my encouragement to myself and to all of us is, let's grow in His grace. Let's grow in the knowledge of the Lord. And let's be purified by His blood. Let's wear the clothes, the the white robes that He puts on us. Right? Don't try to clothe yourself with your own righteousness. That's a big mistake. That's a mistake that a lot of people make. A lot of people want to come before God they want to show up at the party and say, hey, look at these clothes that I, you know, I came up with myself. And you know what's going to happen to them, right? You recall what Yeshua said. Out. Out. You don't belong here. You're not dressed right. And so this is important. We need to come to Him. We need to understand who He is. We need to acknowledge Him. And then we need to hold on with everything we've got. Because it's the only thing that matters. See, the reason that we serve God is because He's true. The reason that we believe in His Word is because it's true. The reason we hold on to His promises is because they're going to be fulfilled. You know, it's interesting to me, uh, I I, I was involved in a a company, a large company, uh, years ago, and they had different groups that you could, you know, get in, and one was kind of like, uh, it was Jewish people that were at at this company, and they had kind of a mailing uh, list. I wasn't on the list, but one one of my friends who was uh, sent me an email, because he knew that I was always talking about Yeshua. And it was an email, this big document on why we know that Jesus is not the Messiah. Well, it was actually fascinating. I, I didn't, you know, spend a lot of time studying it, but I did, I did leaf through it and kind of look at it. And uh, it was interesting because what it, what it basically did is just quoted every single prophecy that Yeshua hasn't yet fulfilled and said that's why he's not the Messiah. You know, and... Uh, that, I thought, wow, that's, that's amazing. Like, what about the prophecies he has already fulfilled? And what about the fact that he's going to come again? And what about the fact that even ancient rabbis realized that there was, you know, Messiah ben Yosef and Messiah ben David? 
Messiah, the son of Joseph, and the son, Messiah, the son of David, right? They, they understood that there was more than one set of, of prophecies. We simply realize that it's one person, you know, in two comings. Guys, his promises are true. So the promises that we read in, in uh, Zechariah 14, the promises that we read in, in 2 Peter 3, the promises that we're reading right here in Revelation 7, they're true. They're going to come to pass. And that's why we hold on to him. So I want to encourage you. I don't know what's coming against you. I don't know what pressure you're feeling inside. I don't know if you're disappointed. I don't know if you're hurt, if you're let down. I don't know if people are trying to carry you away with air. I don't know what what kind of battles you're fighting right now. I know that a lot of things are going on, and a lot of things that aren't good are going on uh, You know, in the world around us. People are going through very, very difficult things, and that might be you. Or maybe things are going great for you. Right? Maybe you're in a, in a really happy place right now and you're just hoping it'll go on forever. I want you to make sure that you put your trust in the living God. That He's your sukkah, that He's your tabernacle, His covering, His presence, that closeness with Him. Uh, we sang that song earlier about He who dwells in the secret place of the Almighty. That's the secret. That's exactly what we're supposed to be doing. That's where we need to be every day. One, one last uh, passage I wanted to share is one that we read earlier, but I think it's so appropriate for the day, and it's so appropriate not just because it's Sukkot, but it's so appropriate because of the times that we live in, when we're seeing, you know, we're seeing uh, I would say I don't want to say that evil's more evil, maybe it is, but evil's becoming more apparent all around us, right? I think that there was a time when it was, it was kind of hidden, and, and uh, you know, now it's becoming apparent, and so now it's our time to shine and show the light of God in an apparent way. Right? And it says this in uh, Revelation 21. We read this earlier. Starting in verse 2, it said, And I saw the holy city, New Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, made ready as a bride, adorned for her husband. This, by the way, is the, is the wedding feast I want to be at. <laughs> this is the wedding party, you know, of all the centuries. I want to be at this one. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, because you don't say this in a soft voice, you say this in a loud voice, Behold, the tabernacle of God is among men, and he will dwell among them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be among them. And he will wipe away every tear from their eyes, and there will no longer be death, there will no longer be mourning, or crying, or pain. The first things have passed away. That's the promise. It's going to happen. So whatever you're going through, hang in there. Don't find strength in yourself. Find your strength in Him. Get under that sukkah. Get under that, you know, the presence. That being, living in the shadow of His wings. That's where you're going to find strength. That's where you're going to find protection from this heat that's on, that's on the outside of us. And also from this pressure that's on the inside of us that we're all facing and, and maybe we'll face soon in, in ways that we've never even thought of. But He will still be our sukkah. He will still be our covering. You know, I'm reminded of, of the amazing story, uh, the narrative in, in Daniel, when he talks about his three friends, right? Hananiah and Mishael and Azariah. And, uh, you know, they, they end up in this situation, which I think is... You know, obviously it happened, it's a historical fact, but it's also emblematic of, of the, the world that we all live in. Where the guy who's in charge, the big boss of the, you know, of the, of the kind of the prevailing way of thinking in that society says, Hey, I got this idol, you know, I got this big statue of me, and I want you to bow down to it. And uh, 
you know, these three three Jewish guys who already had been, you know, pushing back. They didn't want to eat anything that was unkosher. You know, they had already been pushing back as much as they could. Now they're at the breaking point, right? Now they're at the point where they actually have to make a decision, live or die. Because the edict is really clear. If you don't do it my way, we're going to kill you. We're going to burn you to death. A lot of heat. And, uh, you know, it's interesting because they... They tell the, the king, Nebuchadnezzar, like, hey, you know, we can't do this. <laughs> We're not going to do it. There's, there's no negotiation. And he's like, well, you're going to die. And they're like, look, we might die, you know, but what we know for sure is that God is going to deliver us from your hand. And I think that, that kind of attitude, that, that attitude of a winner who's absolutely sure of God's promises that's what will get us through. And interestingly, they get into the furnace. It's so hot that the, the, you know, the, these elite troops that bring them in die from the heat trying to get them in there. And they get in there and, you know, I, I believe they were tied when they went in. But afterwards, they're like walking around and everything's great. And Nebuchadnezzar's sitting there watching this. And he's going like, one, two, three, four. You know, and one of them looks like a son of God. And so that's the reality. I'm not saying, I'm not suggesting that every time we face a, you know, a fiery furnace in our lives, that it's just going to go away. Because that's not the outcome that everyone in Scripture has had uh, immediately. But that is the ultimate outcome that every one of us will have. Does that make sense? That is the outcome. So I just want to encourage everybody uh, with that. that you know, his promises, we've got to hold on to them. And when we do that, when we walk in his grace, when we grow in his grace, when we walk in the knowledge of him, and we walk in His presence, His Spirit in us, guys, then we have the power, we have the ability to actually finish the work of this harvest. It's a big harvest. I know any individual, we look at it and go, oh, it's too big, I can't do it. Right, you're not supposed to do all of it, you know? You're supposed to do your part. Get in, plug in, do your part, keep going. And maybe you say, hey, I, I can wield the tool, but I'm not good at taking the bundle. That's fine, then wield the, right? wield the harvesting tool, you know? Do the thing that God's called you to do, but do it. And go forward. And let's participate. And let's understand what we're looking forward to. Because one day, just like we read in Zechariah 14, His feet are going to plant down on that mountain. That's what's going to happen. And it's going to be awesome. And everybody who's been mocking all this time, going, what's wrong with you guys, is going to all of a sudden have the realization, oh, you know, He is the, 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 the living God. His word is true. He is fulfilling it. He said he would, and he's doing it. And so how about we have that, re- that, that revelation now, and how about we go out there and work to bring as many people as we can into this kingdom, to be part of this feast, to be part of this celebration uh, that we see here with the new Jerusalem coming down to heaven. And uh, with that, I want to invite up the, the music team.